The Bible from 30,000 feet, soaring through the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. Well, good evening, Calvary. How are you guys? My name is Pastor Jason, and I am the uh, campus pastor responsible for Santa Fe and for Knob Hill. I'm glad that you guys are here tonight. Hey, guys. I love that video. It's so great because what he says is that humans have a profound inability to walk straight. Apart from some external or internal compass, we just can't do it. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're going to get home and go, all right, honey, you put on the blindfold. I got your back. You just go, we're on the Mesa. It's going to be great. Don't do, you know what? Do whatever you want. It's fine. Uh, have fun. But, you know, it's, it's just not possible. Uh, have you guys seen that new Netflix movie, Bird Box? Sandra Bullock, she's got the blindfold on, and in that movie, she basically has to get through monster-infested country with her child and protect them and get to safety. And now we know that the monsters can just wait as she walks in a circle until she gets tired, and then they eat her. Uh, I don't think that's how the movie ends, but that's how it does in my mind. Um, So they, they can't walk straight. Now, I think that's really interesting because we always have had this idea that walking straight has some kind of metaphysical or spiritual application as well. We associate straightness with correctness and righteousness. And people who can't walk straight, there's something wrong about them. In fact, we see this all the time here in our modern day society. You see one of uh, Albuquerque's finest pull somebody over. They got them out there, blind, you know, eyes closed, touching the nose, and they make them walk a straight line. And if they can't walk the straight line, we know that they are impaired and can't make good decisions, and they're pulled off the road. Well, the reality is, spiritually speaking, we as a race, we as humans, are impaired, and we can't make good decisions, spiritually speaking. We can't walk Straight. In fact, the scripture talks about this all the time, about this desire to be able to walk straight, to walk correct, to walk in a way that's pleasing or live in a way that's pleasing before God. Psalm 5, 8 says, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before my face. Even when John the Baptist came, he shows up in the wilderness, big leather belt Hairy clothes, bugs in his teeth, an awesome beard like this. And the first thing he says is, walk straight. Israel, please. For God's sakes, walk straight. Literally, for God's sake, walk straight. That's what he tells them. Make straight the path for the Lord. That was his cry in the wilderness. But we can't. We can't walk straight. Not spiritually speaking. Apparently not physically speaking either. And I can think of... A few reasons why that is. And we're going to look at three of those reasons tonight. And, you know, this is a connecting flight, of course. And so I thought it would be good for us to figure out how to walk straight before we fly, to figure out the destination before we board. And so that's what we're going to do tonight. So let's pray as we begin, and then we'll jump into our text. God, we thank you so much for this night. We thank you for all that you do for us. Lord, we thank you that you don't leave us to our own devices. You don't lead us 
in the wrong way, Lord. You don't allow us just to go off on our own, but you patiently wait for us. You patiently instruct us, Lord, and I ask that you would instruct us tonight. We thank you, and in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So tonight we're in Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 16. And Galatians is a great book because it's a book all about choices, all about staying on the right path. Paul is writing to the churches in Galatia, and he tells them in chapter 1, he says, I'm surprised at how fast you've started to stray away, how fast you've gotten off the right track. And in chapter 2, he says, man, even Peter had to be corrected. I had to correct him. He was getting off track. And the reason was because of the Judaizers, these guys who came in who said, listen, this Christianity thing is great, but unless you're, you know, Jewish, or at least act Jewish, it's not really going to fly. You've got to be circumcised. You've got to keep the laws of Moses. You've got to do all the right things, all of these works, and Jesus. Most heresies come from Jesus plus something else. They try to add all these things, and people are getting off track. And so Paul has to write to them, instruct them, says, hey, listen, it doesn't matter what other people say. Here is the path. Here is the way of righteousness. And it comes down to two real Sections, And that's kind of what we're going to look at tonight in chapter 5. These two spiritual forces of the flesh versus the spirits. So that's where we're going to start off. Galatians 5 verse 16. I say then, walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another. So that you do not do the things you wish. But if you were led by the Spirit, you were not under the law. One of the main reasons I think why we can't stop, we can't walk straight, we can't live in a righteous way, is we can't see clearly. We have no vision. We can't see the way clearly. Like these guys we saw in that video, we have these spiritual blindfolds over our eyes and we don't know which way to go. It's because of all these conflicting desires and motivations. Paul here says that the flesh and the spirit are struggling against each other. The spiritual struggle is causing this blindness that there's these two spiritual forces that are locked in an internal fight. And they'll always be at odds, like, like two magnets pushing against each other that they can never come together. And it causes turmoil. And he uses a really interesting and evocative word to describe this struggle. He says lust. They lust against one another. And that is a weird way to put it. Maybe you feel uncomfortable with that word. That's fine. But the word here is epithumao, okay? And the idea here is an overwhelming desire usually to consume. If you think about Luke chapter 15, the prodigal son, he sold himself into slavery because he's lost everything. He's hit rock bottom and he's a good Jewish boy hanging out with pigs and feeding them slop. And he epithumao, he wants to consume passionately this food that's supposed to be for the pigs, That's the same kind of desire that we're talking about here, that these two forces are contrary, not just opposites, contrary. Enemies that will not rest until one is consumed or destroyed. And I think we've all felt that. We've all felt that struggle in our lives where, I wanted this, but I should really do this. My kids used to play this game. 
when they were younger, they would take their clothes and fill them up with pillows and other clothes to fill them out and put safety pins to keep them together. And then they would take these fake kids made of clothing and, like, put them in the bed and tuck them in. And then it's supposed to be bedtime, right? And they'd go hide in the closet, and they're giggling. And I come in, and I know what's going on because I'm an adult. And uh, <laughs> just wanted to clarify. And I come in, and I'm like, Sophie, why are you still awake? You should be going to sleep. You know, there and they're like, hee, hee, hee. And then sometimes they'd like put them in like the dinner chair when it's time for dinner. And I'd come over, would you like some more Brussels sprouts? Here, let me fill your plate. And they fall over, oh no, are you okay? And they're laughing in the hallway. And one time she took this fake Sophie and tied the sleeves around her neck. She runs through the house and goes, help, help, I can't get away from myself. <laughs> and what struck me was, me and you both, kid. Me and you both. We can't get away from ourselves. We're the problem. Our problems follow us everywhere because we have this flesh, this sin. Even Paul talks about this. He says, what a miserable person I am. Who will free me from this body of death, this life that's dominated by sin? Thank God the answer is in Jesus Christ, our Lord. So you see how it is in my mind. I really want to obey God's law, but because of my sinful nature, I'm a slave to sin. That's our struggle. He encapsulated it so well. Or to put it another way, help, help. I can't get away from myself. So this is the sin. This is the conflict. It blinds us. It keeps us from being able to see we are of two minds. And so Paul wants to lay out these two opposing lists. These are two opposing paths. Ways of walking, ways of living. And the first one is the works of the flesh. So let's look at verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. They are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envy, murders, like how it's plural because you can't just have one, drunkenness, revelries, and the like, of which I tell you beforehand, just as I also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. It's quite a list. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. It sounds like Yoda warning Luke Skywalker about the dark side. Mm, jealousies, yes. Mm. You know, he's like, hey, that's the dark side. Stay away from that, right? But this is how people act. This is how people act. One of the, the biggest lies in our society really is that people are basically good. Have you heard that? Have you heard that sentiment in various forms shared with you? Well, you know, people are basically good. They just have to learn how to misbehave. It's a lie. People aren't basically good. That's not our default setting. I can prove it to you. Go to any preschool in the entire city. <laughs> Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath. I think that syncs it up pretty well. We're flawed, broken, and bent. And it pulls us every which away, and we can't even begin to walk straight. Paul does something very clever, which isn't surprising. He's Paul. In this list, he's really breaking things down, or he's arranging these works of the flesh in four big categories. And I'm going to kind of just show you those movements here briefly. The first couple, uh, the first four he lists here are 
categorize under sensual sins. Sensual sins. And he talks about adultery. In adultery, I think we have a good working definition of adultery. It's violating the marriage covenant with sexual morality. That's, that's engaging in sensual behavior with someone who's not your spouse. 22% of men and 14% of women admit to having an affair, committing adultery. And then fornication, and it speaks of sexual immorality in a more broad sense. The way I like to explain it to people is adultery is um, sensual behavior, engaging in sensual behavior with someone who's not your spouse when you're married. And fornication is engaging in sensual behavior with someone who's not your spouse when you're not married. But if I'm not married, that's everybody. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's how that works. In fact, the word used for fornication is, uh, is the Greek word pornea. I think we all can figure out the root word we use in our language now. We'll keep it PG. The next thing says uncleanliness. Now, this isn't like the uncleanliness you find in a middle, a middle school boy's like locker room. That's a different kind of uncleanliness, and there's no hope for it. This uncleanliness is a general uh, impurity. In fact, this is a word that would be best understood as the opposite of purity. There's purity, and there's uncleanliness. Just a general sexual impropriety. And then there's lewdness, sometimes translated licentiousness. But you have to be an 18th century British preacher to use that word, so I'll just say lewdness. And the idea here is that someone who is ready to sin at any time, they're always just a drop of a hat. I used to have a friend uh, that I had done ministry with for years, a great lady of the Lord. And the thing about her that I love the most is you would say, hey, Stacia, are you hungry? Every time, without fail, I could eat. It wasn't that she was hungry, but if you give her the opportunity to eat, she's going to eat. Okay, I love that because that's that's you know that fits right well in my with my family. But the idea here with lewdness is that this is a person who's ready to sin at the drop of a hat. Just give them the opportunity, they'll go for it. So these are the sensual sins. And then you have the religious sins. You have idolatry. Idolatry is the worship of any God except the Lord God revealed by, to us by Scripture and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a lot of us get this idea that idolatry is, you know, having these little statues or, you know, up on the shelf or, you know, sacrificing a goat to Zeus in the backyard. And you're like, I'm good. I've, I have never sacrificed a goat to Zeus. I think I'm in the clear here. But the reality is even back in Paul's day and in the Old Testament in the days of Abraham, when people were worshiping these gods, these pantheon, these multitude of gods, really they're worshiping what they represent, right? So each god in the pantheon and the collection of gods has their own sphere of influence. And so in Greek mythology, Zeus is in charge of the sky and thunder. Poseidon is in charge of the oceans and earthquakes for some reason. And so when you wanted to have good crops, have your, your, your resources expanded, you would worship this god of, of rain. And you wanted your cattle and your, your oxen to multiply. There was this goddess of fertility and you'd worship her because you wanted the result that came from it. In our day and age, we skip the middleman. We go straight to the source. We don't worship a god or a goddess. We worship the thing itself. I want power. I want money. I want sensuality. I'm all about pride. I want more of myself because I'm awesome. That's how we worship. That's how we commit idolatry these days. And then there's sorcery, or sometimes witchcraft in the NIV. 
This is interesting because the word here is pharmakia, and it's where we get our word pharmacy, right? So don't go, you know, uh, banning Walgreens or something. That's not what we're talking about. Um, the idea here is that people who would use these chemical compounds or herbs or, or, or whatever to get into an altered state of consciousness to try to seek out some kind of spiritual experience. So the idea really is trying to fill this spiritual need anywhere else but with the God who made you and gave you that spiritual desire in the first place. So these are the religious sins. And then you have the interpersonal sins. And there's a lot of these because there's so many ways to sin against one another. There really is. And he starts very aptly with hatred. Hatred is an attitude of the heart. It's a good motivator for a lot of these other things we see here. Just like love is an internal thing that is the motivator for a lot of other good things. And so hatred is the motivation for terrible, despicable actions and and treatment of other people, just like love is the motivation for good treatment of others. Then you have contentions. Originally, this word had more to do with, well, two contenders who would come together for a sporting event, like a gladiatorial games or a race or something of that nature, who are going to strive with one another against one another to gain a prize. But it changed over the years and became to mean something more of someone with a combative and argumentative spirit. Now, I think we've all met someone like that, right? They just want to argue just for the sake of argument's sake, right? They just want to fight because they like to fight. So there's no goal in mind. They just like the commotion. Then there's jealousies. And jealousy is interesting because jealousy is this idea that I don't think you should have what you have. In fact, I think I should have it instead. It's a desire to have what someone else has had. I can't believe they got that car. They don't deserve it. I should have that. Can you believe Deborah got that promotion? That was supposed to go to me. Mm. That corner office going to be mine one day. That's jealousy. Then you have outbursts of wrath. Outbursts of wrath. This isn't just anger. Anger is one thing. Anger can be low and simmering. Like if your favorite football team lose, has a losing season and you're just angry all the off season, right? Just simmering about it. Outbursts of wrath is when your quarterback throws an interception and you're like, come on, I could have done better than that. Do you guys ever see The Incredibles or Incredibles 2? You know the baby Jack-Jack? Right, so he, his powers are just forming because there's a superhero family, and they won't give him a cookie. And he's like, and he literally bursts into flames, and they give him the cookie and cook some marshmallows. Right, that's outbursts of wrath. You've probably done that or had someone do that to you. You know what that feels like. Then he goes on to selfish ambitions. This word's interesting because literally it means just to work for pay. Right? So like a day laborer or someone who's just hired to do the job. I'd like to pay you money if you will fix my bathroom. Great. I will, pay you, I will fix your bathroom. You pay me money. Simple arrangement. Okay? But it became more evolved and more nuanced over the years to mean people who would do things only for money. Never for love or never for the benefit of someone else, especially in the arena of politics. People who would seek political office for the power and the influence it had, simply for the power and the influence, not to bring about better uh, lives for their constituencies or for just their city or their state or their country. 
selfish ambition. That's the idea going on there. These are people whose first question when you ask them to do something is, what's in it for me? Oh, I see you've never encountered that. Good. Um, you get a little when people are like, hmm, what's in it for me? Then dissensions. Dissensions, this word basically means to stand apart. It's this idea of, of divisions, of how can you divide people? How can you break people apart? It's, 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 I'm sorry, teenage girls are good at this sometimes. They'll start stuff just to watch it start and see like little break-offs happen and break up a couple because they don't like the way they look together. You know, or like, I don't like the way their name sounds. I'm going to break them up. And that's dissensions. Okay, it's this idea of help of of members flying apart instead of coming together. And if you watch the news, you know, we don't have a problem with that in our country right now. As far as I'm going to go, I promise. Then we get heresies. This is interesting. We think of heresies is a little weird to be here with interpersonal issues because we think of heresies is like, okay, well. You think the wrong thing about God. You go against what the Bible says. You you have portrayed God in a way that he has never been portrayed or never portrayed himself. Jesus never talked about God this way. The disciples never talked about God this way. That's a heresy. The word really means just to choose. But over time, it gets more nuanced. And people who are becoming divisive and expressing their choices or their opinions. So you've chosen to believe the wrong things about God, heresies, but also people who are just adamant and unyielding and in their intolerance about their opinions. Because I am always right and you were wrong because you're you and I'm me. Heresies, breaking people apart, again, like those dissensions. And then we have envy. It's like jealousy. Jealousy, uh, envy, though, is unlike jealousy, is that you don't necessarily want it. You just don't want them to have it. Right? You're like, nice new car. He didn't deserve that. Tire slashed. Whoosh. Okay? Just watch the world burn. I don't care. They don't deserve any of it. That's, that's envy. And then murder. I think, unfortunately, we know all that too well. Uh, the last statistics I saw for Albuquerque says that we have one of the highest violent crime rates in the country per capita. And it's, it's, and it's unfortunate. I've known many people who have lost loved ones because of murder. It's the ultimate act of interpersonal offense. And then he goes to social sins. He goes to the social sins, drunkenness, right? And it's clearly one of the works of the flesh. And we can debate all day long about whether Christians should drink or not. But when it comes to drunkenness, which is a different thing, the scripture is clear. When Paul's talking about this, he's not talking just about, oh, people who are like knocked down, falling down, drunk. These are people who have been impaired in any way by any kind of substance. They didn't have all these other pharmaceuticals and things like we do now, substances that can impair a person. So that falls in that category. And then finally, revelries. The ancient Greek word here is uh, komos, which is not komosta, it's different. It means simply to, it's not even simply just having a party or having a good time. You're probably thinking about your neighbor who plays bass really loud at 2 a.m., right? Is, is that just me? <laughs> uh, and you're like, ah, oh, revelry, that's a work of the flesh. Well, no, it, it's, it's more than that. One commentator put it this way. He says, it describes the kind of revelry which lowers a man's self and is a nuisance to others. That's strong. So you're not just hurting individuals. Now you're affecting the entire society by these social sins. And some people do this out of ignorance because 
they can't walk straight. They can't live a righteous life. They've never even seen a righteous life lived out. They have no idea what they're doing is wrong, and others do it to push God away. They want nothing to do with him. They're angry at God, and they want to live in a way that is an open rebellion against him. And that leaves us blind. Because sin does two things. It separates us from God because holiness and sinfulness can't exist together. They're diametrically opposed. But it leaves us blind to holiness and blind to what righteousness really is. So it covers our eyes. In fact, 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 says this, Satan, who is the God of this world, has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. They are unable to see the glorious light of God or of the good news. So they can't do it. So they're blinded. That's part one of why people can't live righteously. Because just like those guys in the video, there's a blindfold over their eyes. They can't see it. They don't know where they're going. The second thing is no compass, no guidepost. You saw in that video how they couldn't see like a mountaintop or the sun or the moon or something like that. They had no way of knowing where they were going. And they have no internal guidepost either, no internal compass. And neither do we. Well, we do, but it's broken. I hate when people are like, just follow your heart. You know, the truth was inside you all along. And you're like, yes, Disney movie, whatever. You go to Lifetime, Christmas movies, all that. I hate that because, okay, I, I get a little bit where it's like, you know, find out what you're passionate about, what are your dream for, make a plan, follow that. Great. But when you're saying, do what your heart wants to do, that's flawed. My heart wants to eat an entire box of Krispy Kremes in my car before I go into the house so I don't have to share. Hashtag true story. But I'm not going to do it because it's not good for me. It's not good for me. Follow my heart. No, I'm not doing that. Jeremiah 17, 9. We know this. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Follow your heart. No, don't do that. Our compass is broken. And so what we're left with is following these wrong guideposts. We take our cues from the wrong external sources, from people who were just as blind as us, the blind following the blind. This has ever happened to you? You're in traffic, come to a light, you got your foot on the gas, you're kind of just waiting, listening to the radio, and you see out of the corner of your eye something move, and you're like, oh, I'm rolling. And you hit the brake, and you still have it on. You know, you just crank on it, and you're like, oh, the the truck's moving. Wait, what's going on? And then you see like a signpost or, or a lamp or something. You're like, oh, that's not moving. I'm not moving. They're moving. You're like, oh, okay, that's good. Okay. Because we're using the wrong things to determine where we are in space of where we're going. And we get all mixed up until we can find a fixed point, a true north. We're never going to be, be able to figure out where we're going and how to get there. And we can't do it, by the way, with our own effort. We've seen how that works. We can't pull the blindfold off ourselves. We can't fix our heart ourselves. It's never going to work. We have to make a switch. We have to change from the works of the flesh to what Paul's going to talk about in a minute to the fruit of the Spirit. We have to put off and put on. Who went to go play in the snow the uh, last couple of weeks? 
Anybody? Good for you guys. Yeah. So I live around the west side, and that first snow we got, we got like this much. Just like, I mean, it was, it was pitiful. But we could see up on the mountain, there's snow in the foothills. So I get the kids in the car. We grab a friend from down the street. We get all our sleds, and we go down there, and we find a, a little park It has some good hills, and we're kind of going on the hills, and they're really short. And then we notice this park is next to a paved arroyo. Do not play in arroyos. But it was a lot of fun. (laughs) Don't tell my wife. Okay, so she knows. Um, So it is just full of ice, and there's a hill leading up to it. And so we carve out a thing. We're just bombing into this thing with a little bump at the end. It's great. And we're like, all right, well, maybe we should go. And then another family shows up with two more kids. And the dad has a shovel. He's putting more snow on the thing and packing it down. And it's faster now. And we're out there for a couple of hours, and more kids show up. And we're having a time of our lives. There's like, we're doing snow force and throwing snowballs and sliding down this thing. And it's great. At about two and a half, three hours, my kids are like, we want to go home. Because they're just, they're whooped. Like they left it all in the field, you know? And I'm like, all right, guys, let's go home. So I take them home. And they come in the house, and my wife is ready for us. And she's got uh, the places to hang all the wet clothes. She's got blankets down on the ground. She's got their jammies in the dryer. There's hot cocoa on the stove. And she's got the blanket. Isn't she the best? She's so cool. She's all mine. Okay, and ah, so excited. Okay, uh, and so the kids are in the doorway, and they're like just pulling out. You're, you're take off those wet clothes, like they stick to your skin, don't they? You're just like, right? That's the sound that it makes. And then you're like, just, uh, and you're wearing like four layers, and they're all soaked to the bone, right? So you're just pulling it off, slinging it in the corner where the towels are, and then my wife brings them the warm blanket and dries them off and gets all the wet and the cold and and they get the warm clothes on from the dryer and the cocoa and they're sitting by the fire and they're like, ah, right? Because you know that tired you get when you like swim all day, you play in the snow. It's, it's something special about it. Like it's flu level tired. Like you just, you've got nothing left. You're exhausted. And that's what we have to do. We have to come in from the cold. We have to come into the embrace of the loving arms of the one who loves us and get a complete change of clothes. We have to get a complete change of nature. We have to strip off, and we can't do it because someone has to help us. Someone has to do it for us, has to change that old nature, change those clothes, throw them in the corner. We'll never talk about those again. We'll put them in the washing machine, burn them, something. We make a complete change. We're warm and we're dry. We're rejuvenated. We feel like we've been made whole. And that's the only way you're ever going to walk straight. So Paul says, well, that's the old way. Here's the new way. I can't just describe it from the negative. I've got to talk about it in the positive as well. And he lists out the fruit of the Spirit. Who, who knows the fruit of the Spirit? Has it memorized? Someone give it to me. Right. Okay. So you went to VBS or Awanas. Good. So that's the list. And we usually know it kind of fast, right? Uh, love your love, peace, patience. Like we do it really fast. I want to read it slowly and then kind of talk about it a little bit as we look to see what this new life 
of being able to finally see and actually have a guide, the Holy Spirit, working in us and with us. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. And, they, and those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And we live in the spirit. Let us walk also in the spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. And the fruit really is the opposite of the flesh. Not an item by item list, but they're the opposite in their nature. Remember, they said they were in contention with one another. They wanted to destroy one another. They're, they're based on different things entirely. The fruit of the Spirit is based on, as it starts there, love. That's the motivation for all of it, where the works of the flesh start with hate or self. Adultery and fornication, those are counterfeits of love among people. Idolatry is a counterfeit of love of God. Hatred, contentions, they're all the opposites of love of one another. Drunkenness, revelries, they're sad attempts to fill the void that only love, real love, can fill. Here's the authentic, genuine article versus the counterfeits we saw before in the flesh. So he starts with love. Now, we all know that there are three basic words that are often used to describe love in the Greek language. We've got phileo, right? So that's the brotherly love, Philadelphia has an idea in its name. Then there's eros, which is sexual, sensual love. And then there is agape. Not agave. You get that at Whole Foods. That's different. This is agape. Agape is that oftentimes unilateral love that only God can give, that never changing, never giving up, always and forever kind of love. That's what agape is. And that love can only come from God. This is the love that you have for people when... When you help someone and no one else sees you do it, so it's not for recognition, and they can never pay you back, because, and you do it just because they need it. They don't deserve it. They just need it, just like we needed salvation, and that love comes from God. Or when you take a care of a sick kid up all night. Kids are cute, but not when they're sick. They're gross, right? <laughs> They're never going to pay you back. No one else sees it. All they see you is looking like a zombie the next morning. But you love them through the pain and the, the, all the stuff that comes out of them. <laughs> yeah, you know what I'm talking about. Uh, <laughs> because God places that love inside of you. I, I remember when I used to work at, uh, at Costco. Sometimes I'd be at the door, you know, and you've got the clicker. Thank you for coming to Costco. Thank you for coming to Costco. Thank you for coming to Costco, right? And then occasionally you get those people that hate you for no reason. Because you work retail, that's just the that's the contract, right? You get one person every day who wants to destroy you. And they come in there just crouchy and and they want to say mean things and and I would always just be like I tried to defuse the situation if I could if not, okay, well, you have a great day. And then I would have coworkers who would do it very differently, but they would always ask me like how come you're like that? I'm like, well, I just feel bad for them and I just pray for them. And they're like, what? Why? And I said, well, one or two things is happening. Either A, they're just having a bad day, so I'm going to try to be that bright spot and I'm going to pray for them. Or B, they're always like this. None of this is about me. How sad it is they must live like this all the time. 
I'm going to pray for them. That's agape love. I know it is because that's not what I really want to do. (laughs) But the fact that I did it means, wow, that was the power of God. (laughs) So that's love. Then there's joy. Joy is not just happiness. Happiness is predicated on circumstances. It's predicated on excitement. We watched this video during the Christmas season. These two little twin five-year-old boys with super long hair. They're mullets, big southern accents. And they each get in their Christmas card a crisp $100 bill. And they are freaking out. Rightfully so. Then my kids are like, how come we don't get $100? Like, we work in ministry. That's not going to happen. And... And that's, that's, that's excitement. That's happiness. It's not joy, though. Because the first time you entrust a five-year-old with a $100 bill, they're going to lose it. And the happiness is gone. Joy is bedrock. Joy is not just an emotion. Joy is not there because of the circumstances. Joy is there despite the circumstances. That's what joy is. Then there's peace. Peace is not just the absence of fighting, right? How many times has there been peace in Palestine, in Israel, in the Gaza Strip? It's not peace. That's an armistice. That's, that's a ceasefire. Real peace is filled with blessing and goodness. I grew up in a family of uh, five kids, and there's always fighting when you have a big family. And then your parents come in. They're like, all right, stop it. That's it. You, say sorry to him. You, say sorry to her. All right, hug each other. Say I love you. It's over. Okay, is that real peace? No, that's like, I know where you sleep. I'm going to... All right, that's not peace. The peace that comes from God is full of blessing and goodness, not just simply the absence of fighting. And that's one of the fruit of the Spirit. Then there's long-suffering. And that's more than just patience. Long-suffering literally is being able to suffer for a long time without it making you bitter and full of hate. Because that's what God did. He suffered under our enmity, under our hatred and rebellion for years for our benefit so that we can come to Him. Gave us time to repent. And there's kindness and goodness Kindness is this idea of not just being like meek and mild and being a pushover. Kindness is of being teachable, of being humble, not having a superior attitude. And that goodness is just like that, but it's a little bit further of generosity, of being teachable and humble, but also wanting to give to others. Kindness and goodness. And there's self-control. There's a famous psychological test, maybe you've heard of it, called the marshmallow test. Marshmallow test says you take a five or a six-year-old kid, you put them in a room, and you say, you can have this marshmallow. Wait, you can have this marshmallow right now if you want, or I'm going to leave for two minutes. If the marshmallow is still here when I get back, you can have two. Do you know how many five-year-olds take that deal? None. (laughs) Not a one. Sometimes they do. Because when it's about us, sometimes we can show self-control. Sometimes we can have restraint for a selfish reason. But the self-control that comes from the Spirit is restraint for others. I will have self-control not just for myself, but because it benefits other people as well. I'm not going to use my liberty to potentially hurt you. 
I'm going to restrain myself in my budget so that I can give, so I can bless people I will never meet on this side of heaven. That's spirit-led self-control. And then he closes and says that there is a place for our old flesh, crucified to the cross with all of its passions and its desires, so that the Holy Spirit can take control, the Holy Spirit can fill us and guide us, take off that blindfold, fix that broken compass. So here's what we need. We need real vision. Those guys in those experiments, they couldn't see and they went wrong in their path because of that blindfold. We, as a species, as people, we have the same problem spiritually because the lusts of the flesh blind us and we can't see how God intended us to see. But to walk in the Spirit means that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And as 2 Corinthians 3.16 says, whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. That veil of obscuring our vision, that veil that keeps us from seeing His goodness, beauty, and truth. We also need a real guide, a real guidepost. Those guys in the experiments had no guidepost to lead them and no natural internal compass to allow them to self-correct And they only had other people just as lost as them to help guide them. We have the same problem spiritually. We have a broken compass, our heart, and we have only the behavior of the world around us to compare to the blind leading the blind. It just means that we have to pattern our lives after the influence of the Holy Spirit. He becomes our guidepost. Now, If you're paying attention, you know that I said there were three reasons, and I've only talked about two. Three reasons why we can't walk straight. And the last reason, I think, is the secret reason that they were looking for in those experiments that they never figured out. No freedom. No freedom. You see, those subjects were scared because they know that no matter how big the field is or how wide the lake is, eventually they will hit something. There's a self-preservation instinct that makes you rear back and be afraid. I work in the Lobo Theater a lot, and I've been there so long now that I can walk in and it's dead dark in there, and I don't turn on any lights. It's like a game I play with myself. Because I know like how many steps there are. I know like, okay, so I hear my footsteps on the concrete and then I get to the carpet. I can go up straight and when it turns flat, I can turn to the right. And then when I feel the air from here, I can turn there. But sometimes there's one door that's not closed. That's closed. It's not usually closed and I can't see any light and I'm all. And it's like way over here and I'm like looking like a fool like this. People get afraid. Because they know eventually they're going to get hurt. And that's why they turned in the video, but that's also what happens to us. We're afraid. Fear causes us to leave the right path. Because fear takes away our freedom. What if I get hurt? What if I don't know what I'm doing? What if, what if I won't have any fun anymore? What if, what if he's not who he said he was? What if I don't know what I'm doing? I don't know what I'm doing. It's scary to turn your life over because fear, it takes away freedom, but we know that love gives us freedom and perfect love drives out fear. 
this whole passage is about freedom. Go back and read Galatians. It's all about freedom. It's about works versus the, 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 the spirit, but it's all about freedom. The freedom that we have in Christ. Freedom from the flesh, from the sinful nature that we all have and still struggle with. They have to keep nailing to that cross day after day. It causes us to walk crooked, to act self-destructively. Back in verse 16, he puts the summary on it. Walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. So it comes down to these questions. How's your vision? What are you focused on? What is your guidepost in your life right now? Has it started to stray? Has it started to get crooked? Is your focus not quite as intent, intense as it used to be? Perhaps you, you need to put your gaze back on the author and the finisher of our faith. Maybe you feel like you've lost the path. Maybe you feel like you're walking in circles. Putting a lot of miles in the odometer, but you're not getting anywhere. Perhaps you have to submit yourself to the Holy Spirit once again and get back on that path and walk straight. And I don't say any of this to condemn anyone. I, I, I ask these questions because I want you and God to have a moment together of stark honesty. God, I remember I was hot. I was on fire for you. And now I'm not sure which way I'm facing. Can you send up a flare? Can you show me where I should be going? Can you help me to get closer to you? I don't want to grow cold. I want to grow close. Is there something blinding your vision? Is there something you need to go, you know what? I've been letting this blindfold slip lower and lower in my eyes all these years. And it's blinding me. It's causing this conflict in my spirit. And I need to get rid of it. God, help me. Help me. You can't do it by yourself. You cannot walk straight by yourself. You have to ask for help. You have to say, God, help me. I'm blind. I'm lost. I'm afraid. Bring me into the house, into your loving arms. I don't know what I'm doing. Please forgive me. Please help me. Make me new. Because the reality is this, is our sin, it blinds us. Our heart, it deceives us. And our fear, it binds us. But the cross illuminates us. The Spirit corrects us. And His love frees us. How then shall we walk? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this evening. Lord, I pray that my words would not convict anyone. My words would not make anyone feel like they are not enough, Lord. You are enough. Lord, you know our hearts. You know where we're at. You know what we need. Lord, perhaps this message is just for me to fix my walk, to make sure I'm straight. But God, I know that you want us to walk straight. You call us continually to make the paths straight to call on you for help, to put away the flesh, to put on the Spirit, to do it day by day, Lord. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. For more resources, visit calvarynm.church. Thank you for joining us for this teaching from the Bible from 30,000 feet.